Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you today. Uh, my name is Randy. If you've not been here before, it's awesome to have you with us. Um, we are uh, we're starting a new series today. Let me recap a few uh, just real quick. For the last eight or nine weeks, we were in a series called Road to Recovery, and we talked about the fact that we have an amazing God who even, even when we get off track and uh, get hung up on, uh, on our own hang-ups and habits and hurts, uh, that God invites us back on the road to recovery with Him. And we talked about that for a few weeks, and then last week we had this amazing panel discussion about some, with some folks who are in recovery and uh, claiming victory over some of their challenges in life. And then sun, uh, Monday night, we began our Celebrate Recovery ministry, uh, which um, we had a, probably about 75 to 80 people, I would think. So we had a great kickoff. It was really good. And uh, that will continue on each Monday night. Uh, this Tomorrow night, it begins at 6 o'clock with a meal, and then large group, and then small groups after that. So uh, if you uh, need to uh, have an experience of uh, getting into some type of recovery, if you want to if you have a friend you know that needs to come, uh, just bring them with you and show up tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, and I think you'll get a blessing from that. But today we're going to begin a new series that we're called Monday's Coming. Monday is Coming. You know, today is an awesome day, isn't it? I want to tell you, uh, I was thinking about this in preparation, that Sunday is a big day for church staff. Sunday is a big day. Most of our time throughout the week, we feel like, is spent preparing for Sunday. Sermons, preparing uh, lessons, preparing the service plans and everything, because Sunday's a big day. And if you know anything about ministry, you know you feel the pressure that Sunday is always coming, always coming. I mean, when I get done preaching today for the second time, Sunday will be coming again. And it feels like sometimes it's several days a week that Sunday shows up, you know, but it's always coming, and it's a great day. Sunday is awesome. It's a special day. I, I don't know what you do, and maybe if you, uh, uh, you know, whatever, whatever your job is, Sunday is a, is a good day, and you probably get to sleep in on Sunday, more than likely. I know I do, even a couple of hours or so. You get to sleep a little bit later. You can sit and relax, maybe enjoy your coffee and the bigger breakfast. Maybe you read the paper, if anybody reads the paper anymore. You uh, get your news online. Whatever it is that you do, you just chill out a little bit on Sunday morning, and then you can come to church, and that's when things, in my opinion, really get special. They really get going. You get a chance to greet your friends in the parking lot and visit with one another and meet new people and then come in and worship and sing some amazing songs and, and serve and pray and study and share with one another. So many awesome things on Sunday. And I want you to know that if you're a follower of Jesus, Sunday ought to be a special day for you. It ought to be a day where you have a Sunday mission. I'm going to prepare and plan. I never have to wonder what I'm going to do on Sunday morning. I already know I've got a mission and a plan on Sunday morning. And I'm going to be honest with you and tell you on Sunday, it's really easy to be a Christian. I mean, I come in here and I just feel Christians all around me. I feel, I feel Christ-like, you know. I just rub elbows with you guys and like, man, it's awesome to be a Christian. It's great. But do you know what? Monday's a little bit different, isn't it? Monday's a little bit different, and you're not going to feel sometimes those Christians all around you. Somebody said Sunday ought to have a pause button. And we just like hit the button and just pause and just park here. But you know the problem with that is that nobody would ever hit play again. We would never hit play to get back into the rest of the world. So we have to deal with it as it comes, right? Sunday's a great day, but in reality, Sunday is not what it's all about. It's not what it's all about because not only do we have a great day today and all the work we put into this day to make it special, but the goal is not just to get people to come to church on Sunday, but then to get them to go on Monday. 
In fact, I believe the very purpose of getting everybody to come on Sunday is to prepare us to go out on Monday because not only do we have a Sunday mission, maybe more importantly, we have a Monday mission as well because Monday is vastly different than Sunday. For all of us, Monday is back to work. For some, it's back to school. It's back to traffic. If you had to travel on Bluegrass Parkway and sit in that line, trying to get into the, the, uh, on US 60, you got to deal with that kind of a frustration. It's drop-off line for your kids. For some, it's going to be, be TSA. You get on a plane and you fly out. For moms getting their kids off to school, which is a job in itself, and then it's housework throughout the day, whatever it may be. You got to deal with your kids more. You got to deal with bosses, managers, customers, students, teachers, people. People. You know what? Sometimes I say, you know, in my job, jokingly, of course, if it weren't for the people in my job, my, my job would be really easy. You know what I mean? I mean, people can mess you up, they can really bug you. And we had to deal with those people on Mondays, not so much on Sundays, but almost always on Mondays. Let me just say this, regardless of what you do, whatever it may be, your call as a Christian is to be a missionary wherever you are. So we come together on Sunday, prepare for that, to be reminded, to be encouraged, to be built up, and then on Monday, we have to go out and do it. No matter what you do, even if you're retired, you got work to do on Monday. So I want to just challenge you in this series as we think about Monday's coming to remember that the mission is out there. See, Jesus didn't say and give us a commission to come to church, even though we're supposed to. But what he said to do is, I want you now to go. Do what? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So the mission is out there. We come here to gather, to worship, to be encouraged, and then we go to the mission field. And so in this short series we're going to do for the next few weeks now, we're going to talk about the fact that Monday is always coming. Just like Sunday's coming, Monday's coming as well. And today we're going to talk about how to be a Christian example at work. We're going to talk about how to be a Christian when you go into the workplace which does not feel a lot like Sunday, what you'll experience today. Because we want what happens here on Sunday to make a difference tomorrow on Monday, not only in your life, but in somebody else's life as well. We want it to make a difference in your work, in your community, in your family, in just the world in general. But i got to be honest and tell you that that's easier said than done because Monday is difficult. What day of the week do we dread more than any other? Monday. Monday gets a bad rap, to be honest with you. It really does, you know, and it deserves it as well because Mondays are just like that. It's just a, it's a tough day. And today we're going to talk about how when we go back into the workplace, we experience some challenges, but we can be faithful and take our Monday mission with us away from Sunday. We're going to look at two people, at least two people, who not only learned how to live with their faith in the workplace, but also who influenced other people as well. Because it's not just surviving in the workplace, it is making a difference and influencing people, all right? For our lesson, though, our study in the Bible, we're going to go back some 2,800 years ago. Now, that's a long, long time, more than we can almost imagine. But fortunately, we have the Bible to give us a record of what life was like back then. And you're going to discover it's amazingly similar to what you may face today in your workplace. 2,800 years ago, this is all the way back past Jesus. This is back into the Old Testament. This is a time when the people of Israel 
were dealing with a lot of stress, partly because, mostly because they had turned their back on God. But the people of Israel were at war with the country of Syria. You say, wow, that doesn't sound so unusual today because in the Mideast there's still conflict, right, even between Syria and Israel. And that's all because of Abraham's big mistake he made in trying to shortcut the plan of God. But that's another story, all right? But at any rate, they were in conflict with the people of Syria. And God was actually using this, the wicked country, the pagan country of Syria, to punish his own people. God did that every now and then. Again, he used, it with, used the Babylonians at one point to punish his people because they were wicked and because they rejected him. But in the country of Syria, there was a, there was a man by the name of Naaman. And Naaman was a Syrian general. In fact, he was the commander of the entire Syrian army. And our story today and our lessons, our principles, basically come from this, the life of this guy that you may have never heard about. But let's read a little bit about him. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier. I'm going to stop right there. You see the rest, but I'm going to stop right there. Let's talk about him. He was a valiant soldier, and he was a man, an upright man, a good man, a very good soldier, a commander, a general over the troops of the king of Aram, which is Syria. And God had used him to bring victory to Aram, not only over the Israelites, but other people as well. So he was a valiant soldier. Now I'm going to drop the last phrase, but he had leprosy. But he had leprosy. Now I want to tell you today, there probably is one word that, that will come close to this feeling and, and that you might imagine a health issue today, and that would probably be the word cancer. You know, when, when people drop the word cancer, it's like, whoa, that's, that's a heavy word to drop. Now, the great thing today is that we know that cancer is treatable and curable, and it's not, it's not a horrible thing now. It's not any, what thing, uh, any, anything anybody wants to deal with, but it's, it's not like leprosy was in that day. In that day, leprosy was the cancer, but it was untreatable and uncurable. Not only was it, was it uncurable, but also it was a horrible way to die because it was progressive. It disfigured the person. They would lose their nose, their ears, their fingers, their toes. They would have to leave their home. They would have to live in a leper colony the rest of their life until they died a miserable death. And so literally, whenever you got the diagnosis that you had leprosy, that was a death sentence. And so Naaman was a great man, a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. And his life was shattered. It was broken apart at this point. Let's pick up the story. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. That prophet is Elisha that we're going to talk about in a moment. But it was common in that day for when a victorious army would come in and overtake the enemy, they would take many times children to be captives and take them back to their home country, and then they would become household servants for their captors. They might be a maid or a nanny or a butler or a baker, whatever it might be in the household. This little girl had been taken in one of those raids on the country of Israel, taken back by Naaman, back to his home, and was a part of his family. And we're not told what her name was, but she was a believer in God. She had retained her faith in spite of the fact that she was now living in a pagan culture. And it seems like that she had even embraced her position in the household, making the best of her situation, and even come to care for her masters. Because when she hears that Naaman has this horrible disease, 
her heart is broken for him. And seeing him in despair and probably pain was already starting with it, she suggested that he should go to Samaria, Israel, to see the prophet Elisha because she was convinced that Elisha could heal Naaman of his leprosy. We're going to talk about some principles today about being in the workplace. And here's the very first one, because this little girl was in the workplace, not voluntarily, but she was there. And here's the first principle that will help you be able to live your faith and influence others. Here it is. Number one, be perceptive for crises. Be perceptive for crises when they come up. I wonder if this little girl had ever mentioned her faith before to Naaman or his mistress. Maybe, maybe never. Maybe she was afraid or intimidated to do that. Had she ever tried or maybe been shut down before? Has she ever been told that she ought to keep her faith private or maybe that she should even embrace the values of her master, her employer? We don't know any of that information, but we do know that her relationship with God was strong. It was strong. Even though she was in a pagan place, she had kept her faith even though her work conditions were not ideal. Now, what about you in your workplace? Obviously, you probably are not a servant or a slave. You may feel that way at times, but you probably do get paid for what you do, I hope. But you know what? You may say, you know, my workplace is really difficult there because I'm not able to speak freely of my faith. I've even been told, don't talk about your Jesus here. Or maybe I've talked about it, but nobody wants to listen to what I have to say. I'm shut down every time I try to talk about what I believe. But here's something I've noticed, that even though you may be in a place where you're not, not welcome to speak about it, if someone, especially the boss, is in crisis, they're going to be open to almost any hope you have to bring. They're going to be looking for the people who pray whenever they get the diagnosis of their own health or their family. And I believe that God had probably been preparing Naaman, even though Naaman didn't realize it, God had been preparing him to be receptive to this message. And I'm pretty sure that God had positioned and prepared this little girl for this very specific time as well. This slave girl's sensitivity to the needs and the crisis made her aware and able to speak into his life. And it made Naaman take immediate notice to what he had to say. So she told her mistress, who then told her husband, who then went to his master, the king of Aram, and this is what happened. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Now, does this sound like the workplace or what? I've worked out there in the, in the secular world. Positioning, strategies, manipulation, one-upmanship, unrealistic expectation and demands. Everybody has their angle of what they want from you and what they're trying to get. You know, we look at this and we say, you know, I don't think Naaman or the king of Aram, they were really trying to create an international crisis over this, but that's what it felt like, didn't it? The king of Israel reads this and he's like, I can't do that. They're going to come over here and demand that I heal this guy and restore his health again. He gets all torn up, tears his clothes all up, and think it's going to be an excuse for them to be destroyed by this Syrian nation. He's thinking, they've just been looking for a reason to come over here and wipe us out. And now he's going to send his best general over for me to heal. 
I can't do that. But listen what happened. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. You know, Elisha shows us the second principle for the workplace. Because, you know, even though it wasn't a traditional job, Elisha was kind of the prophet of the king, right? So he worked for the king in some way. Here's the second principle. Be cool when everybody else is falling apart. Be cool when everybody else is falling apart. If you can be that person in the workplace, then people will listen to what you have to say. When there are rumors about layoffs and rumors about the company being sold and all those things that are happening, you be cool. You just trust God that God's in control here. Elisha walks in and goes, hey, it's all good. I got this. It's going to be all right. This will give us a chance to show them some goodwill to our enemies. It'll be it's a chance, more importantly, to show them God as well. So be cool when everybody else is falling apart. So that's what happens. Pick up the scripture. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots. He stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him and said, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be re- restored until you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Arbana and Farhar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and went off in a rage. Now, doesn't this sound like the world again, guys? This is, this is how people are, right? Everybody wants to be a big deal. Everybody wants to be made over. Naaman is angry that he didn't get the, the star treatment, the royal treatment from Elisha. He wanted to be the center of attention. He wanted everybody to kind of bow and bend to him at the time. He wanted Elisha to come out with an entourage and call out dramatically to God and wave his hand over the spot like a magic trick, and the spot would disappear, and it would be great. It would be so impressive. But instead, Elisha didn't even get up. He didn't come out of the house. He sent a lowly servant out with a silly cure. Go dip yourself seven times in the muddy, dirty dirty Jordan River. He's thinking, obviously, Elisha is not realizing the impact of my visit. Obviously, Elisha does not realize who I am. I'm a pretty important guy in my country. I should be respected. In fact, I should be feared. And the Bible says his, his response was anger. And he started home. And you know what was on his mind on the way home? When I get home, I'm going to tell the king of Aram how they treated me over there, and we're going to come back, and it won't be a peaceful mission this time. It'll be with an army. I know that's what he was thinking on his way home. And he said, you know what? If I just want to dip in a river, I can dip in cleaner rivers at home. And besides, what I've got is not going to wash off. I think he was pretty ticked off when he left. But his servants, here comes the employees again. This is interesting. His own servants kept cooler heads. It says, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? And so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. So here's the third principle of sharing your faith at work is be the voice of reason. Just be the voice of reason when everybody else is ticked off and going off and everything else. Sometimes all you need in the workplace is to be calm and be reassuring to people when they're in a panic 
when they're angry, when they're afraid. You bring balance to the crisis. When God sets you up, you just step in and you be calm. Now, what I find interesting is that we don't even know these servants are with him until they start talking. These are employees, and we don't know, maybe they had been taken from the land of Israel as well. Maybe they were believers in God. Maybe they were watching all this unfold, and they were excited about the God of the Israelites being able to heal him. But then whenever Naaman goes off, they suddenly have to step in, and they have the voice of reason and says, you know what, if they ask you to do something really difficult, you would have moved mountains. But this is so simple, just do it, just do the right thing. Can you be the person in the workplace when everybody's falling apart, when you just stop and say, hey, guys, why don't we just do the right thing? Why don't we just do the right thing and see how it works out? Because God has a way of rewarding faithfulness, right? Very, very simple. Do the right thing. When you speak calm, logic, and truth, people are going to listen. Here's another thing I notice here about employers. is that Naaman had good people around him. He had really good people. Were they impressive people? This little slave girl, he never thought she would be the one to help offer advice about his health, did she? He, he probably never thought those servants would, would have any great ideas or be the intelligent one. He probably never imagined they would speak up when he was angry. But he had good people around him. I would encourage you, if you are an employer, to try to find the best people, not just talent, but people who know God. And you get those people around you because they're going to give you some really good advice. Was it a coincidence that, that Naaman just happened to capture this one slave girl who later on would help him? Was it a coincidence he chose the servants that would help him? I don't think so. Can you imagine that God had all this planned out in advance? He put the slave girl, he put the servants there into Naaman's life to help him. That's easy to imagine, isn't it? Well, let me ask you this. Can you imagine that maybe God has put you where you are today in your job in a difficult situation to be the person who brings reason and hope and healing to someone? It's a little harder for us to imagine that, but it's the same God, and he knows everything just like he knew what the need would be. Well, Naaman listened up. He put his hurt, his anger, his pride aside, and he was healed. But you know the incredible thing? He was also healed of his spiritual sickness as well. Because here's the amazing thing. When God moves and make a difference in someone's life, he oftentimes heals them spiritually as well as physically or relationally or financially or whatever it may be. And that's what happened to Naaman. Let's pick up the account. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused if you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ramon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also, when I bow down to the in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. Man, we got to break that down. What's that all about? The mules and dirt and all that. Well, let's, let's break it down. Basically, what happened is Naaman is healed, and he tries to give Elisha some reward. And Elisha says, no, I won't accept anything. Here's the thing. When you are able to make a difference, keep your motives and your actions pure. Don't do it for personal gain. 
That may come later. You may be rewarded, but don't make that be your motive in anything. And certainly it wasn't for Elisha. He was very low-key. But here's the next, here's the other part. Naaman had worshipped his own god, the god of the Syrians, the Arams, Aramites, and his name was Ramon. And he had worshipped him, and he had been the god that he had always bowed down to. But now he realized that that was no real god. That god couldn't, Ramon could not heal him. Only the true god could do it. And so he decides going forward, there will be no God except the God of Israel in his life. But now Naaman has a dilemma in his own workplace. Remember, everybody's got a boss. Even the boss has got a boss. Naaman had a boss, and he was the king of Aram. And he expected him, when he went to worship the pagan god Ramon, he expected um, Naaman to walk him in on his arm. That was just a part of his job, the commander of his army. And so he had to escort him there to worship. But he said, you know what, Elisha, if you would give me two mule loads, all they can carry of dirt from Israel, I will take it back with me, and I will build an altar to the true God from the ground, the dirt of Israel. I will build it next to the altar of Ramon. Can you do that? I think so. That's what he said. I want to build an altar there, and there I will worship God, and whenever my my boss is kneeling to worship his God, I will bow down and worship my God. Here's the next principle. Open your mind up a little bit. Be faithful to the true God even when you're in a pagan place. You be faithful to the true God even when you are in a pagan place. Now today we don't worship literal idols, do we? But to be honest, we are tempted by the false idols of power and money and security and individualism and popularity And where do we find that most? In the workplace. That's where we get the temptation about money and greed and all those temptations that we know are wrong. All the idols that are offered to us many times are in the workplace. But the Bible says that we can live in this world without being of this world. In fact, that's what the Bible, in but not of the world. We can live here, we can serve the world, but we don't worship the world. Because Naaman was going to go back to his workplace served the king, but he was different because he had encountered the the true God. And he was determined to do things differently so that he would worship the God of Israel even in a pagan temple. Now, would would he stick out? You better believe it. He would. Would he be mocked? You better believe it. Would he be persecuted? Maybe. But the thing about it, he was such a man of character that people would automatically respect him. Even though he was in a pagan place, he would worship the true God. Because he chose the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, over the false gods. So let me ask you about you this morning. Are you currently worshiping false gods in your work? Now, none of us would want to acknowledge that, but but let let me ask you a few questions that maybe will expose your heart. If the main motivation you have in your work is money, then you are worshiping a false god. Obviously, we all need money, all right? What makes the world go around, we know that. But there's a difference in needing money and money being your only motivation for your work, the only reason that you work. If the worst thing you could happen that, that you think could happen to you would be to lose your job, if the, you think that's the worst thing that could happen, then maybe you're worshiping money. If you would never risk losing your job by being obedient to God, then you're probably worshiping money. If you would never participate in some activity like standing up for some value or moral issue because you wouldn't want to risk losing your job, then you're probably worshiping a false god. 
Now, none of us want to have to make a choice about that, but if you would choose your job over your faith, over your God, then you're probably worshiping a false God. And only you can really answer that question. Now, you may be in a job where it's difficult to be a Christian. And you may have to ask the question, do I need to change jobs? Maybe that's a really relevant issue for you. You know, the first thing to say is that some jobs are just wrong. They're just wrong. If you're a hit man, you need to leave your job. I'm telling you, don't even think about it. If you sell drugs illegally, you need, to, you need to quit your job. If you steal, if you're a burglar, quit your job. If you have to de- 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 deceive people to make a living and that you are told you had to do that, quit your job. I don't even think you give them a two weeks notice. Quit your job, all right? That's pretty easy to say. But most of the cases are not that clear. They really aren't that simple that you have to decide. If you're not forced to sin in your job, then you've got to ask yourself some questions. Like, can I stay here and be at peace with God? Can I stay in my job and be at peace with God? Even though I may be in a pagan place, can I worship God here? Can I make a difference here? You may need to leave your job even if it costs you money. Even if you take a hit financially, you may need to leave your job. I I know people who have done that. And then you need to ask yourself the question, is the job that you're in allowing you to serve God like you want to serve God? Is it allowing you to serve God? Can you be on mission tomorrow in a way like you want to be? Because maybe you may leave that job to be able to do more for God. You know, one of our guys in the church here, I really respect and and love him, a good friend, Duncan Gardner, is a good example of that. For many years, Duncan was in a a really good job. He was vice president of a local bank here, very well known and did a great job. But he kind of came to the point where he said, you know what, I want to be able to influence people more with my job. And so he left a, a career of 25 years to go and join a company. It was a risk, yes, uh, but a, a Christian financial organization, Thrivent, that we partner with a lot here at the church and different projects. And, uh, and now he's a financial advisor, and he's able to talk about God on the job and advise people. And it's just a great decision for him. It was a risk. But he wanted to do more. Nothing wrong, nothing sinful in what he was doing, but he wanted to do more to serve God. And maybe you might think about, can I serve God the way I want to in the job that I'm in? See, when we come together on Sunday, it's coming together to worship, to be encouraged. And today it's Sunday, but tomorrow is Monday, and it's coming. Can you do your job and serve the world without worshiping the world? And the answer may surprise you. Naaman struggled with that. He said, can I go back home and still be the commander of the army of Syria and also serve the living God? Can I do that? Is that possible? And Elisha said to him, go in peace. Basically, I think he's saying, yes, you can, but remember who you serve. Remember who you, who you are obliged to. You know, God gives us peace in our situations, and maybe, maybe God's chosen to put you in a place where you currently are for a reason. You don't even know why you're there. It might be for a season. It, it may be for a career. But the worst thing that you could do would be to leave your faith at the door and walk in and not be God's person in the place he's put you. Because all of us have a Sunday mission, come together and worship, but then we have a Monday mission, go to work, and be Jesus there. Be Jesus there. Be faithful, be prepared for those times when God says, now speak. Make a difference in what you say and influence people. 
You know, Jesus had a work to do, and he came to this earth, and he fulfilled that. His work was to die on a cross for us, and he was faithful in that. Even in a pagan place, this world, among pagan, wicked people, he was still faithful. And because of that, we have the right, the ability, the opportunity to come to him. And this morning, if you've never done that, and the things that we're talking about sound strange, you can only understand them through the lens of Jesus and what he has done for us. So if you want to talk about him and your relationship, your next step with him, I would love to have that conversation. Just catch me after the service. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the day. God, help us to think of these things we've talked about today. Because God, you have no doubt positioned and prepared us for opportunities for ministry and service that we never, never recognize. God, help us today to, to just enjoy the day of worship. But God, prepare us for the mission that lies outside of these doors. God, we love you, we worship you, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.